0: Welcome. This is All the fucking a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values.
1: These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning.
0: If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place.
1: And a quick note on our content. We believe self care is radical and non negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So, some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective, and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether.
0: Hi, everyone. It's good to be back. Uh, This is Tristan speaking. I use they, them pronouns. This is Lauren. I use
1: she and her.
0: And we're here today with Jacoby Ballard, which is really a a gift and an honor to be in space with you, Jacoby, for a bit to talk. And I would love to ask you to introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, your social location, whatever feels relevant or resonant and uh, whatever astrology you want to share with us today.
2: Thanks. It's great to be here with y'all. Jacoby Ballard, he, him, or they, them. Um, I'm a white middle-class trans person on the masculine spectrum. Um, Yeah. uh, Privilege of uh, being having citizenship and being documented. Um, Able bodied for now, able minded for now, neurotypical for now. Um, And I'm, uh, I'm talking to you from Shoshone, Ute, Paiute and Goshute land.
0: Thank you. The the for now feels like such a powerful teaching in and of itself. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that, but mm.
1: yeah. Yeah, me neither. I'm going to start saying that though, if that's okay, and
2: attribute it to you. That's so good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And your astrological placements.
2: All right. Uh, so I'm a Gemini and uh, Pisces moon and Libra rising. Wonderful. Thank you.
0: Um, so Jacoby, I know of you as, as a yoga teacher, though I know that you're really like rooted in, in Buddhist practices as well. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, not that the two are disconnected or dissimilar, obviously, but it does feel like a distinction that we yeah. should emphasize. Um, and and also a social justice activist and educator, I would love to hear how you came to yoga. I mean, we kind of just always ask folks like how they came to do what they do in the world. Um, and how you came to to the practice and how you came to teach it and and what it's been like in your
2: experience. Yeah. I started meditating as my first entryway to the practice. And I started meditating my senior year of high school, which was year six of being bullied um, for being seen as queer. And so it literally saved my life in that way, kept me alive, taught me that there's something inside that my bullies couldn't tamper with um, or destroy when they were like destroying so much on the outside. Um, And I also was a three sport athlete at the time and it made my free throw shooting in basketball specifically uh, like close to 100% uh, just because I was like so, I was training my mind to focus every day, right? And so then I could bring that onto the court. Um, And I think both of those things feel really lucky that they convinced me like this practice is like incredibly worthwhile because it's making my life better, right? Like it's easing the impact of the bullying and it's making me a more effective athlete. And so I just kept doing it um, and kind of around through every turn in my life, um, it was helpful in different ways. in college, I started so around 1920. I started to um, do some social justice work. Uh, my entryway to that was we had a visiting professor come who was Colombian, and um, had his life was in danger in Colombia um, by the civil war. That's in some ways, even though there's a peace agreement there, it's still underway. Um, and so I remember him. I remember being in the classroom the day he told us that like his torturers were trained in in the US right at the School of the Americas now called WISC. and. uh, And I was it just like broke my heart and blew me away and um, i've been doing social justice work ever since that um, starting with like solidarity movements, Um, and I feel that's that's. It was a great place into to enter into social justice work, too, because. It was explicitly using our whiteness for the benefit of um, folks in other countries um, who were targeted by the policies and the um, military and of, of the US and, and their own military or police trained by the US. Um, so, you know, yeah, I've always since the beginning of my social justice work, like been aware that I'm white and that it, that's actually a tool. It's not like something shameful. It's not, um, I don't know, necessarily something to be proud of either, but it's something to leverage. Um, and at the, same, at the same time in, in college, when I, was, when I was getting involved with, with Hector Montegroen's work, um, I was continuing my own yoga practice or my own meditation practice. And then uh, we had a wellness credit requirement on my college campus. And so I was I procrastinated on everything else, and then I was mandated to take yoga (laughs) and I took yoga with this 70 year old woman who grew up in Maine the college was in Maine. She had grown up there, never left the state in her life, and um, she had been a housewife until age 50 when her kids were graduated out of the house and. She started taking yoga at the YMCA and her whole life turned upside down like she she was divorced and like sought employment for the first time and uh, bought her own house for the first time, like within like five years of learning yoga because it was so transformative and she shared that from the very first class and so again that just like compelled me. As well as she was a 70 year old woman doing things in her body that my 20 year old jock body could not do, and I was like confounded and like the competitor in me was like i'm gonna beat you Lillian. Um, And that you know that like intrigued me about the asana practice like what is this about? And how, like I had been taught, you know, athletes reach their prime at like age 30 or 40, but like she's at age seven, like, what is going on here, Lillian? You're like turning my world upside down. Um, She also taught yoga as a full path of um, all the eight limbs. Uh, And so some classes we wouldn't do asana at all. Like I remember some classes, we would just like learn about local farms and the food, like she would bring food and we would cook together And she would talk about it and talk about, like, this food is grounding or this food, you know, um, can moisten your body when it's dry or different things um, using Ayurveda tools. Um, So as much as like asana was compelling as as an athlete, I also knew from the beginning of my study with Lillian and then also from my roots with meditation that like that wasn't all there was to it. And I feel really grateful that then I, like, that I studied with a 70-year-old woman that like not someone in their 20s who'd like been through life and, and risked everything uh, in her pursuit of the practice. Um, and I then like began my, my Buddhist path with her too. She, she also ran a Zen sitting group on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. Which is not, you know, a typical hour that college kids are awake and alive for. Um, so I'd like I would run down, run to her house, which was like two miles away from campus because I didn't have a car. <laughs> I would run there every Sunday morning, sometimes with a friend of mine, and um, sit uh, and do a Zen practice. And sometimes there would be a professor there, a university administrator, someone who was a plumber, a woodworker, like people from like all walks of life um, which was also really useful to be like, oh, it's useful for you and for you. And to we would sit and have tea at the end of practice. And that was like my favorite part to like, get to know that probably remains my favorite part to get to know how the practice lives through each of us.
0: Mm. I, I'm, I'm so I'm finding myself experiencing some envy and jealousy that that was your beginning into yoga. Like if we could all just have lillian in our lives as we (laughs) could get started like who's who's not just talking about Asna and who's you know i was just so i'm i'm touched um and jealous (laughs) Um, i will
2: say that she's complicated too because i like she's like such this like wonderful figure in my history and i contacted her i heard So I met someone at Kripalu that knew her, that studied with her or something in Maine. And I was like, oh, my God, you know Lillian McMullen. Can you put me in touch with her? Um, And I was out as trans at that time and running my own business in Brooklyn. And when I contacted her, she was totally transphobic. And I was like, oh, it was like one of those lessons of like, I should have left this like brilliant teacher like as she was in the past (laughs) and not tried to like rekindle or relight that because But it's also a teaching and like, that's her humanity, you know, like Mm -hmm. she was this golden light, uh, in my twenties and, um, and then, but she's still on her own pathway too. Mm -hmm. And still has plenty to learn also.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm inclined to be like, I'm so sorry. That was your experience and that's heartbreaking. And I love how you're holding, you know, both and, um, letting it be what it was when you were younger and what she is now, or has always been instead of. Um it sounds like you're not letting that experience like take away from what you got when you were a college kid at the same yeah. time.
2: Yeah, I think it's a tricky thing with teachers that like mm-hmm. we often go beyond what their offering was. And mm. it I've seen many people then be disillusioned or swear off their teachers that they like have found mistakes in, and not that I don't think that harm, people should be held accountable for harm. Um, But also, I think it's an unfortunate um, legacy within yoga and Buddhism to like put teachers on such a pedestal that we expect them to like, not ever mess up. It's just like, unrealistic. And then, (laughs) and then they're like burying their mess, you know, under the carpet, lest it be seen by their students and followers and then it'll explode like we've seen it in so many lineages of yoga right oh my gosh
1: yeah yeah and like and some very toxic personalities thrive in that environment because they really know how to work it for the public and then hide all the really dark scary stuff yeah um yeah so I I really appreciate that nuance
2: there Yeah. yeah
0: how did you come to teach Jacoby
2: one of my so i started taking yoga at the gym at my college as well and it was a student teacher and she was i was like there every day practicing like i fell in love with it through lillian and then like many people like just couldn't get enough Uh, so uh that yoga teacher became a friend and she was studying abroad and at the time it was 2001 and the yoga alliance was nascent and a college gym didn't understand that like there's a yoga teacher training that like people need to take <laughs> to like have skills enough to like hold the body, hearts, and minds of the students. Um, so my friend Rachel was like, "Hey, I'm le- leaving this student job post while I go study abroad in Kenya. Um, do you want to teach yoga? Because I know that you like you work at the science center. Would you like to look, work at the gym?" And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds great." <laughs> Um, and so I started teaching five classes a week, which is like <laughs> a big jump. <laughs> <Myself>. <laughs> Thank God I didn't hurt anyone to my knowledge. Um, I think like I, I learned my own style of yoga from, uh, jumping in so deeply and having had only two teachers and not knowing like what to model it on necessarily. Um, but the thing that really, uh, moved, moved me in teaching was I taught a a Wednesday class at noon that was open to any staff and faculty, but, uh, of the college and only staff came. So it was like secretaries and janitors mostly that came to my yoga class every week. And they were like dedicated, like they were there every week. And, um, some folks would come like. One woman came uh, in preparation for a hysterectomy that she was having. Um, other people would talk about like um, difficult parenting moments, um, even like loss of children in the space. People would be going through divorces. People would, you know, have loved ones deported. Like real things were happening, and they were they were talking about it in the yoga space and and making connections between like what I was teaching the eight limbs based on what I learned from Lillian and and their own lives. And and I was just like, wow, I can't believe you trust me at like 20 year old to like hold all of that with you. And I'm so honored. And like, I am not gonna fuck this up because that is, that's some vulnerability and I wanna um, hold it skillfully. So then after I graduated college, I still wanted to teach. I recognized at that moment 2003 I can't keep teaching without a certification (laughs) off of a college campus so I moved to Atlanta and um, happened to move two blocks away from a yoga ashram um, and found my teacher Swami Jayadevi um, Bhagavati there Uh, and it was this beautiful queer not just queer affirming it was like queer centered space in 2004, Jaya Jayadevi and her teacher, Majaya, um, had both been rooted in the AIDS um, and HIV movements uh, for over a decade at that point, uh, a couple of decades, perhaps. And um, so, you know, people that they worked with on the street, people that they worked with uh, in hospitals and their loved ones came to the ashram over the years, and it was like 60 percent queer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like, at a time, I was like, I was a dyke identified person, and so excited to have like a queer space. And I think if I hadn't been in that space at that moment, I wouldn't have come out as trans as early as I did because it kind of like it was it was the space that I was in many times a week. I was taking my teacher training there, so like all weekend, multiple times a month. Um, That was really lovely. I'll also say that that space has, like, they've had a learning curve around, like, race and racism. Um, They're in a much different place with that now than they were when I was there. Chelsea Jackson Roberts was trained there as well. Lama Rod Owens was trained there as well. Mm -hmm. And I think for those kinds of leaders to, like, actively seek that space means that, like, that space, they know that space can hold them. and I'm so I'm so I'm grateful that they've done the work to do that um under Jai Devi and everyone else that's involved in that um and then and then and I, at the time I was um my people were activists and so I started teaching yoga uh my first gig was teaching in Amnesty International's uh Atlanta office and then Lambda Legal's office and then a, a couple other nonprofits and that just like helped me make the connection more and more like between what is what is embodiment and what is um, the ethical practices? What do all, all the limbs have to do with social justice work? And seeing what my students were bringing, you know, whether it was like heartbreak within the organization, grief at a campaign being lost, um, rage at a rupture um, that happened in coalition. Uh, and that like planted a seed. And I think that that's that's just like where my work has grown from. Just being the intersection of social justice and healing and trauma as i've learned more about trauma
0: so you had to like so counter dominant yoga culture like i'm just like if first you you land a teacher who's like deeply practiced though clearly you know still <laughs> having work to do. We all do forever. And, but like teaching more than just asana. And then you land in a queer, I'm like, I'm like, you land in a queer community. Like that's not, I mean, I'm also, I'm jealous of that and celebratory for you. And that, that kind of space exists because I have like just 99% of the time it's, you know, cis and het spaces, white, cis, het, you know, fill in all the other blanks, right? Like thin, predominantly women, you know, like, and you, I mean, it's partly clearly like who you are in your heart and where you're drawn towards. And, and also I can only imagine that experiencing so much bullying at a young age propelled you even further to pursue spaces that you felt could hold and accept you and, and, and see you for who you were.
2: Yeah. I don't think that part was conscious. I think I very much needed that, and I remember at the graduation of my two hundred hour training, you know, like there was like kirtan playing, and there was candles, and it was like this lovely and slightly raucous atmosphere. And I'm on my knees at Jaya Devi's feet, and she asked me, "Who hurt you?" And I was like, "Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I'm, is that what we're what?" Um, But that question stuck with me, and then I pursued mentorship with her and um, continued to explore, and I was just like, oh, right, you saw it when I couldn't, because I was just trying to stay alive. Um, But that's part of the importance of teachers, really skillful teachers, to to hold you through a process. And as a teacher, I've held so many people through breakups and through coming out and through, uh, you know, death of loved ones and, and all the things. Hmm. this
1: um intersection of yoga and justice work has come up a lot on the podcast just because of who Tristan and I are and who who we know from (laughs) just our communities and you know I I wasn't really aware of that intersection and community until maybe a few years after you were doing these yoga gigs but it it's really interesting to me to hear about someone whose entire career has been bringing these two worlds together and this let me know if I'm getting us too off topic Tristan because I know you you also have a beautiful list of questions but I'm kind of curious Jacoby how you've seen these spaces evolve in the last basically two decades which oh my god that's mind-blowing um especially since last year where it seems like now everyone's talking about this stuff and maybe some folks who are extremely new to the work um and doing it with Let's say less skill than some of the some of the folks who've been at it a little longer. I, I'm just curious about your your thoughts about where it's headed and where it's been.
2: Yeah, it's totally evolved as a field. I mean, both within yoga and then like the larger like healing justice movement. Um, I think in social justice spaces. Um, at the U.S. Social Forum in Atlanta in 2007, and then the U.S. Social Forum in Detroit in 2010, there was healing, healing justice practice spaces um, in both. So there's like a mega social justice conference um, and then they're offering healing. Um, and I think that planted a seed within social justice movements that was really important. Um, a lot of movements have had healing uh, part of it all, all along. And um, I think Marxism in particular has had a big impact that like the divine and the sacred should not be part of our work um, because of the trauma of Christianity, like it makes sense. (laughs) And um, what are we missing when there's when there's not that uh, heart practice and and body practice that are not just um, adjacent to our movement work, but absolutely essential to our movement work. So I've seen that really grow within social justice spaces. I've taught so many classes at individual organizations and then at conferences and I've seen other people starting to teach um, yoga and meditation more and more at movement conferences, which has been beautiful to see. And now seeing organizations have whole budget lines or whole departments devoted to healing justice like. That's amazing. Um, and we need that because often we come into social justice work because something's wrong, something's broken, something's the violence has to stop. Um, and there's a lot of trauma to be healed then. Um, and, and we go to our movements. I, I saw people, so many people go into movement work with so much trauma and then not. Then it just if, if we're not working to heal it ourselves and heal it in community, then it's going to eat the organization. It's going to eat at the the whole movement, and it's going to implode, which serves the systems of oppression really well, right? Um, so in that way, I think of um, healing justice work, and healing justice specifically, like you know, led by women of color, as um, so important to the well-being of our our movements. The if we're not well, then we can't be powerful. And then within yoga and meditation spaces, um, yeah, certainly in the last, in the last year, it's like exploded in the last five years, doors have been like slowly opening more and more. Um, before that there was a ton of pushback. Um, the, the book that I wrote, queer Dharma started because people were like, why queer and trans yoga? Isn't that exclusive? Like, aren't you creating exclusive space? Don't we all wanna be together and work it out? And yes, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love that dream. <laughs> I, I, I dream of that too, and we're so not there yet um, because of violence, oppression, and trauma. And so for the time being, we need affinity spaces to be able to, to heal and find our own love of the practice itself, where we're not constantly dealing with microaggressions left and right by other students or by the teacher themselves or the administration of the space. Um, It's been really gratifying to see yoga and meditation and Buddhist spaces transform in that way. And also, part of me is suspicious sometimes, like, are you just doing it because you kind of can't keep your doors open if you don't? At this point, do you have Black Lives Matter signs in your window and a rainbow flag in your window, and like you can actually back it up with your praxis? or are you? do you, did you just like Subaru and like other corporations like just get the memo that like <laughs> this is a good business move?
1: I think of that meme um, often, where it's like. Uh, well, the one I saw recently, there are several versions of this, but it's like planes dropping bombs. And one is like GOP administration. And then there's another one that's like democratic administration, but it has like a rainbow flag and a Black Lives Matter <laughs> sticker on it, right? Like it's, it, it, so it's, it's so messy and complicated. And we've had a lot of conversations lately with folks for this season of the podcast about like box checking and how now, a year plus on from this more recent uprising of the Black Lives Matter movement, how um, th- it, folks are trying to put it back in a box. Um, and that's literally the opposite of <laughs> what the work is for. So um, thank you for, for sharing you know, kind of your experience as someone who's been doing this for so long, because um, I don't think we hear enough of that.
0: Would you speak to I'm trying to think of the best way to to prompt this question. You know, I I, want to invite you to speak to being a white person in justice work. And and part of the reason, I mean, I feel like there's been several themes that run throughout our podcast (laughs) conversations. One is like, how do we relate to money while being in anti-oppression oriented, hopefully work? Um, How do we relate to justice work or anti-racism oriented work as white people um, and I, I and you know and then I'm thinking even listening to you speak how do we relate to teaching yoga as white people like there's just so like speak to any of those and, and all of them in 20 minutes thank you Jacoby. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, well, like I said, I, I entered social justice work through solidarity work and being literally recruited a Colombian man, (laughs) he's like, you have to do something. (laughs) Um, And that's really different, you know, than like, coming into it as like a savior of black and brown people. Um, Entering into it in partnership, I think is, is so important. And knowing, knowing in your heart, why why do this work and why does it matter and how does it impact your household, your neighborhood, your community, your networks? Um, I also know that I found yoga practice due to my whiteness because I was the clientele that I mean, there's, there's so many histories of yoga, right? And, and I'm still continually learning more and more. Um, and so some, some of the gurus uh, came to the US because there is a British uh, colonial uh, induced famine in India. And so they came looking for money through yoga. Uh, because like they didn't want their, their their surroundings, their sanghas, their families to to die, and they found an audience in wealthy white women who were not working, and uh, had the time to like you know spend a whole day meditating or learning the teachings. Um, and I think that's it's important to to know that history, in that like it's not my fault. You know, that like there's this like there's this has been years in the making. And of course, I'm another white person doing yoga at this at this moment in 2021. Um, and it's so important to. To understand the deeper practices, to understand the many teachers, to understand the context in India, the political context, currently the history of colonization and partition. Um, as part of like my responsibility as a white person practicing yoga and um, to have it be liberatory. My colleague Sheena Sud, you know, says that yoga is a tool and it has been used for oppression in India and is in the U.S. as well. And like any tool, it can be used for liberation as well. Um, I've been really heartened in the last year. You know, I hold six online classes, five or six online classes during the week every week. And um, some people that have been studying with me uh, in different places across the country for a decade have been coming to my classes. And there's, I leave, we do the practice, I teach on a theme, I um, have a prompt in the chat so that in, in the beginning so that people get to know each other a little bit. And then afterwards we, we chat and reflect on how the practice is moving through them, just like I did in, in Zazen with Lillian years ago. Um, and I've been really moved to hear like a cisgender white man like joining a like um, undoing patriarchy group. And uh, this like cisgender white blonde actress like doing an anti-racism study group and like and bringing that to yoga and refining what they're doing off of the mat on the mat and through the practice and with the ethical practices and the themes and the checkers and the koshas and all the things um, uh, so i see i see yoga as like for for folks of privilege can can refine our um, anti-oppression practice and make it more effective and allow us to be more self-reflective and less fragile when we call that get called out or called in because we already have a svadhyaya practice, right? Like we are already like reflecting on on ourselves. So when someone else reflects on on us, um, we can receive that as a gift rather than like as an insult, like, oh shit, you're seeing something that I wasn't seeing, thank you. Let's move forward, let's recommit. Like the teachings have been telling us this. Um, I also think it's really important for me as a white person to be in deep relationship with South Asian people specifically um and black and Latinx and undocumented and indigenous folks here, um and you know, people with the ancestral connection to Buddhism or yoga, um, to like keep my own teaching in check. Um and for me to keep showing up as a student of theirs. Um because there's so much that people with that ancestral connection to these practices that Gets passed down just through generations, just through family culture. Um, that is practice, but not not necessarily like recognized as like doing yoga. But it is the practice. <laughs> um, there's so much that I can learn from them because that like that's what I want to pass on, right? Like to to my own students, to my to my child, um, Susanna Barkataki. You know, has a shirt that says "You don't." yoga isn't something you do, yoga is something you are. And um, I learned so much of that through studying uh, from people that are targeted um, by systems of oppression, Um, because often the practice has to be deeper to like, get us through. Um, And how wonderful that then like, there could be like, Communities of color uh, fighting racism from their side, and then like white folks eroding white supremacy from our side, and refusing to participate bit by little bit, and like handing that down to students and 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 our families. One
1: thing I really appreciated as I was you know flipping through your book, when when
2: is it officially November sixteenth?
1: November 16th. And we'll link, I know you're having like a launch party and stuff. So we'll link to everything in the, in the show notes for folks, but, um, you have a whole chapter about capitalism and yoga and, um, kind of uh, threading back to what you were just talking about, like how, especially as a white person. And I ask this to someone who's currently struggling with this all the time. Um, how are you holding the need to survive and make money because of the system that we live in with all of these values and eroding the system that we live in. I mean, it's, we get asked about this a lot um, and it comes up pretty much every episode. So I would love your thoughts, (laughs) your thoughts on this.
2: Yeah. I mean, so up until the pandemic, like the yoga, like being a yoga teacher was like a pretty it's a job of hustle and not that lucrative. There's like a few that are like, you know, have been on dozens of covers of magazines or whatever. Um, but most of us like teach, if we're a full time yoga teacher teach 10 to 15 classes a week and uh, do teacher trainings here and there and retreats and everything just to like stay afloat while the like yoga studio owners and the yoga mat companies and the yoga pants companies and all the things, um, you know, drawing a lot of money. Um, I think for myself, uh, it's been a practice, a long standing practice to give at least 10 per- 10% of my income to um, organizations that are led by folks of color or other targeted groups or other multi-marginalized groups um, as part of my practice of steia, um, non-stealing and generosity um, and then same thing with like opportunities like how wonderful that like 10 5 10 years ago there was like three trans people in yoga <laughs> one of them has left <laughs> and now there's dozens of us and how wonderful that like Tristan can do a conference and I don't have to be there. And <laughs> Tiger can do this other conference. Like, there can be several of us at a conference. Um, so I guess another part of my practice then is to um, to be in collaboration with colleagues rather than competition whenever I find someone doing awesome work. Like, that's how I met Tristan, right? Like, I saw that Tristan was a new board member for the Accessible Yoga Conference uh, organization. And, and I was like, i don't know them (laughs) and like it it used to be that like i knew everyone doing yoga and social justice work and here's a trans person doing yoga and social justice and i don't know them (laughs) so i like emailed them i was like hooray you're a board member this is awesome and that's the same way i met susanna Barkataki. she wrote an article on decolonizing yoga um uh and and i was just like so happy to finally hear someone writing, like bringing together uh, yeah, politics and cultural appropriation and movement work and yoga in the way that she does. Um, And then sharing opportunities when um, I, when my students or my mentees are like, I feel like they like they're ready not only with like their understanding of yoga, but like, considering, you know, am i gonna pass off an opportunity to teach at a yoga conference that's primarily white am i gonna pass that off to my black queer mentee like maybe and maybe that could be harmful it really depends on the person and knowing them well and knowing where their practice is at um i don't want to put someone in in harm's way but i do want to like open the doors and like let myself be replaced um and then I think just trusting like, that there's more than enough work for all of us. And capitalism tries to teach us that if there's not. And it, that even gets into our like, yoga and Buddhism um, realms. That, um, And I know I know so many colleagues of color who have been pitted against other colleagues of color because there's only room for one or two but certainly not 10. <laughs> um, and I think we have to actively resist that. And, um, you know, there's practices, like I know Susanna doesn't agree to teach at a, at a conference unless there's five other South Asian folks. And I'm starting to to be the same. I got just got asked to teach at this conference that I presume was very white. And when I asked who else is the faculty, it was very white and very straight and very cisgender. <laughs> Um, and I was like, I'll, I'll teach there, but only, you know, if this many people are included. And uh, I think another consideration for me is what do I value my work at? What do any of us value this work at? Right. So if I did this conference, she offered me a hundred dollars. Um, that's really little <laughs> like that. I get I make more from a single yoga class from, with a community that I love and cherish. Um, let alone going into a new space with new students. Um, so I told so I also told her, you know, I, I'm not going to do this unless you offer to for everyone to make at least two hundred and fifty dollars um, or more. Um, and unless, you know, yeah, like I need some more folks of color and I need some more queer folks on your list of invited speakers and leveraging that. I think it's so important and we can do that you know across identity like Susanna and I do that for each other all the time we can do that with each other like I could be like unless you have these other four trans people I'm not going to teach there um so that we're lifting all of us up or more of us up together and then you know I trust that like when someone else then gets to teach at a conference that they hadn't taught at previously that they'll also lift that we like continue opening doors and passing opportunities down um and that in that way, there's like, we take up more and more space in the yoga realm. And there's then, not that there's less space for like white cis teachers, but just not, they'll still have their realms that they can always teach in. And the rest of us can hopefully make a living at it too. Um, I think Sean Korn has also been a fantastic example for me of like how to do that. and, and uh, pass on opportunities while also like she helped me teach at Yoga Works. Um, it didn't end up being a great place for me to teach. It didn't end up being that successful. Um, but she knew that I had the personal practice to like withstand their bullshit. Um, and it was like a learning for me of like oh, I I don't have like the like notoriety to like just like go to San Francisco or go to LA and like. Have a you know twenty to sixty person workshop, uh, which is what yoga works relies on. I actually like need to demand a little bit more of a space like that, not just for myself to be successful, but for any of us to be successful because of the impacts of transphobia and homophobia and ableism and white supremacy. Like in order for us to be well known and popular, um, there have to be more like collective practices. Of, of awareness around those dynamics and more intention, you can't just like invite someone to, to teach anymore and expect that that's that's all you have to do.
0: That was rich, thank you. Uh, truly, I'm I, I'm I'm doing a lot of like my brain is piecing things together listening to you, um, and also I'm reliving moments where I've made choices to decline invitations, but not have the, what I would have considered at the time, the hard conversation to explain why I was declining. Um, and Lauren and I have had a couple episodes where we've talked about like, what is it like to have hard conversation? Like, and I, and I'm thinking as I'm listening to you, I'm like, that wasn't a hard conversation. Like that was nothing hard about me speaking up via email about something that wasn't okay, but, but I'm conditioned to not, interrupt. Right. Um, I'm conditioned uh, to simply decline the invitation without explaining why, because that's more contentious, quote unquote. Um, yeah. So my, my brain is just like, wow, like rapid fire um, as you're speaking. So thank you.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was afraid in that like specific example. I was like, this is, this is testing this woman. Like she could just like write me off and never get back. Or she could take some of the nuggets that I'm actually offering her to do her business better and be more relevant in our shifting field.
0: Yeah.
2: And she, she took me up on it. So now she's paying everyone $300 it was still not enough, but like so much better than it was. And, she Three was like, times. Initi- and it was like initially going to be optional. Like she, she asked me to do the workshop for free and you could, uh. you could, if you need to get paid, you can receive a hundred dollars stipend. <laughs> I was like, we're not doing that anymore.
1: If you need to get paid, like what? <laughs> <laughs> who, who doesn't need to get paid for the work that they do in the world? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. Well, the idea
2: of savor, right? Like the idea of service sure. that's um, part of yoga and is like beautiful, but intertwined with white supremacy means that people with privilege can, can afford to do that teach for free and then that creates the expectation that all of us can teach for free and that what we're offering is not that valuable and then you know you have black folks like not getting paid for their work you have trans folks not getting paid for that work and um, we know the vulnerabilities of those communities and the wealth disparities
0: i i want to be sensitive to our time um tell us about the book I know that it is. I, you know, I get your newsletter. By the way, Jacoby is probably the most consistent newsletter sender I've ever known. Um, so you know, and I, I, there's a part of me like, when you when you emailed me, I had this like fanboy reaction so hard because I've admired your work for so long. And I remember, I think I said this to you, but the very first podcast interview that I ever did, where somebody interviewed me about, at the time, LGBTQ plus awareness and yoga was what I was calling it, and. And they asked me, who who are the other folks in the queer community who are in yoga? And I was like, well, Jacoby Ballard, but like, I, I don't know that he's on social media and like, I don't know where he is, you know, I just know Jacoby's out there doing good work because I I had seen your name and I knew of what you have done in the, in the community and in the world. And so I just want to take a moment to celebrate you and appreciate you and not just shout out your... Um, effective newsletter communication skills. (laughs) And also to say too, before we get into the book, you know, if any of our listeners are looking for a space for community as, as queer and trans people, I think you're doing, there are a lot of queer and trans yoga classes out there, but I have never experienced a Zoom queer and trans yoga class like the one that you teach every Sunday. It is Like it was like just add water experience of community like that. Like the minute I got into the space, I didn't know any of the people I, you know, was new and I just felt so welcomed. And like there was space for me to fall apart emotionally, which I did. And like it was held and like it was welcomed and and honored and cherished. Um, And I see you doing, I see you seeing people on Zoom in a way that is um, not, it's a, it's a skill and it seems like it comes through you so effortlessly and naturally. And clearly you've been doing it for a really long time and you experienced it at a young age with a primary early influential teacher. And mm-hmm. I just wanna, I wanna shout that out for anybody listening because I know a lot of people are looking for community on Zoom mm-hmm. at this point in time in the pandemic and in our world. And I think you're offering a really important gift of that space, so.
2: Thank you, yeah. it's a really sweet space.
0: Tell us about the book. It is many years in the making. it is coming out this fall. Um, it is a really important contribution to to all of the things we've been talking about on this episode. Um, yeah, I, I want to give you space to just share whatever you want to share about it.
2: Sure, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for that love and love and care. It's been a joy to see colleagues you know it's such a special moment to teach on Zoom that like we can all take class together and be in like strong across turtle island and beyond um yeah a queer dharma yoga meditations for liberation is kind of half the heart teachings um based on the brahma Viharas of loving kindness compassion joy and equanimity and then i added in there Letting go, anger, and forgiveness, because those all inevitably come up anytime I teach on the Brahma Viharas. And we don't have many spaces, especially to to talk about anger and to talk to work on forgiveness. Um, And then I offer some critique to mainstream yoga, which you're probably aware through this conversation, I have many critiques of mainstream yoga. specifically for its racism and um, reproduction of of capitalism. Um, And then some some visions for the future, including reviewing some really beautiful organizations and what they do well and what they're working on. Um, And I talk about teaching queer and trans yoga there as well in the the book as well, Um, which is interesting. You know, it's so interesting that you do the trainings that you do now, Tristan, because I've been asked to like teach, like, how do you teach queer and trans yoga? And I've just been like, what, like, what do you mean? Like, you just... <laughs> I mean, there's some things not to do. Like, don't, do, don't use gendered language. Um, you know, queer it up. Like, flick some wrists and toss your hair. <laughs> <laughs> but um, until witnessing, like, what you and Megan do, I'm just like oh that's what they were asking for thank Mm -hmm. goodness those two came along and you know and more um but that's like that question is where the book was born from of of why teach queer trans yoga and what is different about queer trans yoga how do you you know are you teaching differently than like how you teach like a normal vigorous class or whatever um i'll also say that uh yeah, I talk about the experience of of being white and doing anti racism work um, within and beyond yoga in there. And I think that's really important to uh, just to demonstrate like as a white person that like these practices have helped me come to terms with uh, the history of my ancestors, and how it comes to be that I teach yoga now, like white supremacy is like completely part of my my path. And there's concrete things that I can do to to erode it, that we all can do to erode it, um, especially in partnership with with folks of color.
0: Lauren, do you have any last questions or anything you wanna share? Um,
1: Mostly I'm wondering, how you're feeling now to have your words out in the world like this? Because as we were talking about beforehand, you know, it's been several years in the making of this book, as Tristan said, too. So how, how are you feeling now to have your book coming out?
2: I mean, relieved in some ways um, and terrified. <laughs> Part of my experience in social justice fields and in queer community is, um, you know, yeah cultures of, of accountability that can go awry mm. um uh so i'm very aware that like my book could trigger someone so like I'm, I'm waiting for the email that i receive that's like you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't have been the one to write the book or whatever and i actually went through that myself um three years ago when i was um, in the bay for a boost peace fellowship uh uh retreat. Um, I remember having a conversation with two friends of color to just be like, I don't like after this weekend to get like I don't know if I should be the one to write this book. And one of my dear friends who's gonna speak at the launch party was like, How dare you use mm. us as an excuse to not be in your brilliance? Mm. Like, stop it. <laughs> get the work out there. Um it's and it was the year after that I, I found a publisher. Um, yeah, so so I feel responsible, I feel relieved, I feel excited, I feel terrified.
1: All these wonderful rainbows of emotions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and I, I'm really grateful for you um, for naming that because I think, I know Tristan and I have talked a lot about writing and just what the fuck we're doing <laughs> with our work in the world and, and waiting for those emails too. And we've had some pretty tricky conversations, even, you know, recorded ones on the podcast about the role of white folks in this. And yeah. um, you know, the what you just said about your friend saying, How dare you not do this? Um, I think is really, really important and speaks to the power of relationships across these lines of difference. Like that's how this work moves forward is when we hold each other that way instead of trying to calculate the right answer because there isn't really one yeah yeah oh i'm excited for you this is really cool
0: (laughs) anything else you want to share jacoby that you haven't gotten to say or anything anything you want to highlight or
2: well i lead one of the things that i've cherished about working with jayadevi and working with sean corn is their mentorship and helping me get through tricky moments in the yoga industry quote-unquote um, and so i offer a mentorship now the next one will start again in january um, it's a six-month men- mentorship for folks already trained as yoga teachers uh, the intention is to fill in the gaps of many yoga teacher trainings. So like talk about cultural appropriation, talk about consent and assist, talk about trauma, um, talk about the business of yoga and how to do it ethically, not just like how to get all the Instagram followers and how to, you know, have a successful yoga retreat, but like how to balance the practice of aparigraha of non-greed with, uh, with being sustainable. Um, and it's been such a joy to to work with yoga teachers through that to like help people find their path. That's the other aspect of the mentorship is to help folks find their own niche within the wide field of yoga and social justice.
0: Wonderful. I'm really glad you're out there offering that. I'm also just literally pulled it up in my browser tab and pinned it. I was like, I need to look at my schedule.
1: <laughs> Lauren, did you want to say something else? No, just that your mentees are so lucky. That sounds like a really, I mean, literally filling every single gap that comes to mind in most teacher (laughs) trainings. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that makes me feel hopeful about this industry (laughs) moving forward. Um, It can be easy to get cynical. So, yeah, totally. Totally.
0: Jacoby, thank you for joining us. Thank you for um, putting in the labor of love that you have to write that book um, and to stay with it. Um, and, and see it through. Uh, you know, I know I'm craving it, so I know mm. others will be and are too. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to holding it in my hands and, and knowing that it's out there in the world. Um, and thank you for just honestly being who you are and being, um, present and vocal are the words that come to mind. Um, mm you know, if, even if folks weren't aware of you, like I have been, I, you know, you've just, you've been out there, um, speaking about things before they became popular, um, or part of the mainstream conversation. And I'm just really grateful, um, that mm-hmm. we have people to look to who have been immersed in this conversation, um, for as long as you have and yeah, really grateful for you and your
2: work. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Tristan. I'm so glad to have discovered you and to have met you as well, Lauren. I'm so excited to continue building relationships.
0: Likewise. Thank you so much. We'll include links to all the things in the show notes. And uh, thank you again.
2: All right. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of All the Fuckin'. If you like what we're doing, we'd love if you'd subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating and review. This helps other folks find us. You can learn more at all That's alltfinpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F-I-N podcast.com. And on Instagram at alltfinpodcast or at Tristan Katz Creative or and at Lauren K. Roberts. Okay.